Hello everyone, welcome to History Tea Time Chat Live with me, Philippa Lacey Brule, and this is the British History Channel. So thank you if you are coming back. I know there's lots of you who join me each week and I'm really grateful, but if this is your first time here, then welcome as well. We have this show each uh, Wednesday live at three o'clock UK time where we talk about all sorts of different history. Today we're talking about why is it that the heir to the English and now British throne, subsequently British throne, is the Prince of Wales and how that links to a place called Ludlow Castle, which um, I may go into more detail about Ludlow in a subsequent live stream as well. But the links to the Prince of Wales are quite interesting as well. So we'll do that. Um, I am streaming live on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Um so if you are new here, or maybe you've well, a few of you have been around, Emma, Deborah, hi, welcome. Welcome to Ed, who is a new member on YouTube as well. Um, yes, so if you've been here around for a while, then you'll know that obviously I do this weekly show, but each month there is a historian interview which goes live. This past weekend, that went live, the latest one, Dr Nicola Tallis talking about her new book, Young Elizabeth, uh, Princess, Prisoner, Queen. And so you can um, see that the book is out tomorrow, 29th of February, uh, everywhere, I think, maybe other than Australia. I'm not sure when it goes live there. But you can see my interview with uh, with Nicola already on YouTube. You can also, as you might well be doing now, catch up on the podcast, which is also the British History uh podcast it's just British history or if you look at my name as well if you're not quite sure because British history obviously is quite a general term and so you could come up with a few different channels when you do a quick search but if you look for my name Philippa then you probably will find the right one so I hope you're all well I have a quick shout out please to do for Gary Brooke and Andrew who have all become patrons this uh well in the past week because one of the things as well I should mention is when you uh are a patron you get to ask questions of my guests and I have today posted in patron uh patreon excuse me the uh, request for some questions for Nathan Armin, who is going to be, uh, who I'm going to be interviewing in a couple of weeks time Nathan you might have seen around as uh the uh antagonist protagonist up against Matthew Lewis lots of discussions around the princes in the tower because Nathan comes from the sort of Henry VII side of the argument um he's from Wales which of course is where Henry VII was born Henry VII was born at uh, Pembroke Castle raised for a little while at Raglan Castle before having to scoot over to the continent for safety so um anyway so uh Nathan is uh, is pretty much a Henry VII scholar, actually, I would say. Uh, he's written a lot on the pretenders. Uh, so these are the uh, the men, per Perkin Warbe Warbeck and the other one whose name has escaped me, who the, uh, who the other side, <laughs> I don't know why it has to be sides, but anyway, of the sort of what happened to the princes in the tower argument or discussion are saying um that there actually were they were actually the rightful uh, king richard the fifth uh, excuse me um edward the fifth and his younger brother richard duke of york and they actually were coming back and trying to claim the throne back off uh henry the seventh 
so anyway, so I'm going to be speaking to Nathan in a couple of weeks' time. He has a new book out this year as well, about more specifically on Henry VII, so I'll be asking him about that. Um, either way, if you all would like to put your questions to Nathan, please do come along. Uh, a lot of you on here I know already are members of my Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash British History and you can, you can submit your questions to Nathan. I've also got some other... Uh, exciting interviews coming up uh, in this spring as well. So I'm going to have to have a sip of water now. How is everybody? Jack says, which side are you on? Hmm. Nathan or Matthews? Well, if you fancy going back and seeing my, I think I spent about an hour um, on one of these lives going through the um, evidence that has been put forward in the latest uh, book by Philippa Langley and um, uh, there was a show on TV and I went into my, well, just the evidence really. So my thoughts on what has been presented. Um, so uh, if you fancy, you can go back and have a look at that. Uh, <laughs> so, well, I will come back to Matt. Matt has already been a guest on my, um, uh, on my podcast. He was my first ever guest. Um, who's my first ever historian interview and we were talking about Ludlow Castle which I'm going to be talking Lambert Simnel thanks Jenna um, and we were talking about Ludlow Castle in fact I interviewed him at Ludlow Castle so when you see that interview and I'll put a link to it in the show notes or you can look it up on my YouTube channel um, it, um, we, it's not a green screen behind that it is actually Ludlow Castle we we met there and sat on a picnic bench and he spoke about the Wars of the Roses and uh, and how Ludlow Castle um, sort of came into being. And yeah, so um, uh, so yes, so I will put that link into the show notes afterwards. Uh, I meant to do it before, didn't get around to it, but thank you for the reminder. I shall do that. So... <laughs> And of course, I could get Matt on to um, to redress the balance in the latest uh, on the princes in the tower. Uh, okay, so I also want to mention before I get into talking about the Prince of Wales and, and Ludlow that look out because I have got a bit of an announcement to come out. Can't do it until tomorrow at the earliest. Might not be able to do it tomorrow, but I do have uh, an announcement coming out. Um, it might be a bit of a geeky one. It might be not be of interest to anybody else, if I'm perfectly honest. But anyway, I will do it regardless. And uh, and it'll be a take it or leave it. <laughs> okay, so. Um, the Prince of Wales. Now, with so much, I think, I don't think I'm on my own with this. Something that is customary and familiar takes a bit of a it needs to take a bit of a step back to even question why it is the case and in today's live I wanted to um, talk about why is it that the heir to the British throne has the title Prince of Wales now I you could easily argue that now that it is a British throne that that is that kind of makes sense that the heir to the throne would be the prince of one of the um, areas, countries, actually, within the, the wider country. So 
but that was sorry but excuse me that wasn't the case it was it predates the british throne um so we have a prince of wales who's actually an english prince called the prince of wales so i want to roll it right back and explain that history and also then I want to do a quick link to Ludlow Castle because Ludlow Castle is a fascinating place. Um, if you are coming with me on the Rise of the Tudors tour, which looks at the story of Henry VII and Arthur Tudor and the Beauforts and all that, then uh, we're going in September, 21st of September. There are a couple of places left if anyone's interested to check it out on www.britishhistorytours.com. Look on the tour page, it's there. Um, we're going to Ludlow. That's one of the places, and I couldn't be more excited. I, it's 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 a little bit um, along the lines of Kenilworth Castle, where it's too far away from London to be really well visited. Um, you kind of have to, especially if you're coming from abroad, you have to go a little bit out of your way to go there. Um, quite a bit out of your way, actually, to go there. So I'm very excited about taking a group. I love taking groups to places where they may not have been able to go or wanted to go or hadn't thought about going <laughs> before. And this is one of the places. But before we get there, let's talk about the Prince of Wales and why Prince of Wales is the title given to the heir apparent to the British throne. And that's, it's actually happened since the, uh, the uh, excuse me, the 13th century. So in the 1200s, it became the title of the heir. Now the current Prince of Wales, of course, is William, the son of Charles III, and once William becomes king, that title will be conferred on his eldest, Prince George. There's a difference now in the um, uh, the, the, the late queen brought in um, a difference to the old system of primogeniture, uh, and it's now the eldest child, but they had a boy first, so it doesn't actually make much material difference at the moment. Um, so... England and Wales, what you have to understand, and I want, I probably will get into this with Nathan, who is a proud Welshman. The, the, there's a distinct culture of, of a Welsh culture that, that is distinct from the English culture. And I don't think that's probably, well, that, that, go, that feeds in quite significantly to why I think it became the title of the English heir. Um, and that identity. I would say despite the best efforts of some of our previous rulers has been able to remain um, distinct. All men, by the way, in Wales can sing. That's all, just one thing. <laughs> and I'm, I should ask Nathan actually whether he can sing. Or Tom Jones is what is Welsh, isn't he? That, he's, just, he's just indicative of the, of the Welsh men. Mm -hmm. um, so we go right back to the reign of King John. We've covered King John in previous lives. I'm sure we'll cover him again. Inept in the extreme, nasty man, but inept as a king as well. And um, uh, and under, during his reign, excuse me, Wales was able to become more organised, if you like, in, in um, opposition to to the English king um, and they organised themselves under a, a single 
ruler leader, his name was Llewellyn Ap Lewelth. Llewellyn Ap Lewelth. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. And when John died in 1216, he was succeeded by his nine-year-old son, Henry III. And there was probably enough warring factions within, well, there was, within England to deal with by the council who were looking after the country on behalf of the new king, headed by a wonderful William Marshall. Um, he's one of my faves uh, in history. Uh, and and they were they were busy dealing with that. And uh, but one of the things that they did was organize a peace treaty for like in the 1218 in Worcester, a peace treaty was uh, signed with Llewellyn Ap Lorworth. Um and the the council, the, the King's Council acknowledged um Lorworth as uh as lieutenant if you like, Henry's lieutenant in Wales. That arrangement, though, didn't last very easily, very well. Um, the descendants of those who agreed just started to fight again over land and titles, and it all went a bit to pot. In 1267, there was another Llewellyn, Llewellyn Ab Grifford, and he established himself as the lord over all of the other Welsh chieftains. And Henry III recognised him as the Prince of Wales. So I suppose his um, contact <laughs> in Wales. He talked to him, he deals with everyone else. And perhaps Wales could have remained a principality, excuse me, of, uh, of England swearing allegiance to the king. Um. However, that it just didn't seem to suit either side for very long, and rebellions would would um, kind of bit par for the course. Then you get uh, Henry III's son Edward I, known as Longshanks for his uh, long limbs, six foot two. He was in uh, in in a time where well, in the 13th century, where apparently people were shorter. I'm not convinced. We hear too many exceptions for me to be convinced. But anyway, now he proved uh, more able than his father at subjugating the Welsh, mainly because he was really, really violent. Um, and he he forcefully brought Llewellyn back, yeah, back in line. Um, Llewellyn had thought to take advantage of Henry III's death, uh, underestimating Edward quite significantly. And so Edward basically stamped him out um and uh, um and yeah so so he was like no england is going you are going to be subservient to england that's it you to me um, um but in 1283 lewen ap and his brother david uh, daffid ap uh launched their own rebellion but edward once again quashed it now Llewellyn was killed in battle daffid was caught by his own people um, on Mount Snowdon, and he was he was turned over to the English king, and tried and found guilty of treason. Now, this was the first time um, that your that the um, uh, sorry, I think I've just gone off Instagram. The this was the first time 
that rebellion had been treated as a treasonous offence. So think about it, treason, it, it's, it's a crime against your lord. So rebellion, Edward was, was, he was stretching the definition of treason. And I'm actually going to be writing about, um, about this and about the Treason Act um, in my next blog for Patreon and on Substack. So I'll, I'll go into it in, in, in far more detail. So not only is Dafford the first um, rebel to be tried for treason, he's the first one to get his very own special execution. This is where we see the beginnings of being hung, drawn and quartered, or more uh, accurately, drawn, hung and quartered. And if you watched my interview with Susie Edge, we talk about the uh, supposed significance of each of those stages and the stages of that horrific way of being executed. Um, so you can check that one out as well. I'll put the link into that uh, interview. Now, what happens to be, uh, sorry, what seems to be an early indication of Edward's intentions, he gets his queen, Eleanor of Castile, to travel to Carnarvon Castle, which is in Wales, uh, it's in northwest Wales, to give when she's pregnant to, in order in order for her to give birth there so in 1284 you have an english prince because the baby was a boy an english prince born in wales his name was also edward now so you you have this um uh so you have the the king in england he's claimed wales as a principality the Queen has given birth to a son in Wales at Carnarvon Castle. And when that baby, Edward, got to the age of 16, um, his father conferred on him the prince of title of Prince of Wales. Um, uh, they did that at Lincoln, which we talked about Lincoln the other day. Edward, um, he was actually their fourth son, but he was their eldest surviving son. Uh, and and so therefore he was King Edward the First heir. So he had the the title Prince of Wales conferred on him at sixteen. By the time he uh, so, but um, excuse me, but he, then he he was the heir to the throne by virtue of being the the oldest surviving son, and therefore those two things got linked, and have been that tradition has persisted now down the centuries so even when it's conferred on an on a so it's been conferred on the on the eldest son and when if when and if it's happened the eldest son um predeceases their father that title will be moved on to the the next eldest surviving son as was the case with arthur tudor to H henry who became henry the eighth so i said i would i'm going to bring you up some pictures of ludlow castle because um, so Ludlow Castle, uh, shown here um, on the podcast. I'm sorry if you if you if it, there's just some photos of Ludlow Castle. Ludlow Castle is on the well, English Welsh border. Like I say, check out my interview with Matt Lewis after this. He goes into it in, in into the castle's history in a lot more detail than I'm going to be able to do with you today. Um, and this castle has was in the possession during the Wars of the Roses. Um, of Richard, Duke of York, the father of uh, 
who would be the, the, the men who would become Edward IV and Richard III. So Richard, Duke of York, holds Ludlow Castle during the Wars of the Roses. Um, and when Richard is killed in battle, this Ludlow and his other possessions go to his eldest son, Edward. Um, and Edward, I mean, the, the, again, the, uh, Matt goes into this in, in quite a lot of detail and it's very, very interesting. But Edward would have known this castle well and he would have known the area well. And when um, Edward, the, Edward becomes Edward IV, um, he establishes here a, a council to govern the, the Welsh areas. It's the, the, the council of the Welsh marches um, and that he establishes here. And in 1473, Edward IV sends his eldest son, another Edward, to um, to Ludlow. He's um, he's young, but he's he's got the the title of head of the Council of the Marches. Of course, he's the Prince of Wales. So this becomes um, the seat of the Prince of Wales. It's a great place for him to learn a little bit about kingship as well. I mean, this is like a this is like a perfect diplomatic mission for a would-be king a king in training um the photo that i'm about to put up so um the photo that i've got up on the screen now is the, the steps outside of the uh this lovely square sort of it looks like a low keep but it's, it's not the keep but it's all very uh, similarly uh, styled and you have these external stairs that is actually leading up into the great hall which was on a first floor level again quite similar to um, places like Kenilworth Castle. Um, now when Henry VII becomes king he also installs his eldest eldest son at Ludlow, Arthur Tudor and he um, Henry VII is always keen he's always got an eye on establishing um, that you know the, the the Tudor right to rule, and one of the one of the ways of doing this is to um, continue with tradition, and um, and so his eldest son Arthur sent to Ludlow, and again, obviously Arthur is Prince of Wales, and he is the, also the head of the Council of the Marches. Um, this is where Arthur brought his new bride, uh, Catherine of Aragon, back to. In 1501, it so if you're looking at the screen, you can also you can see the steps up there again, uh, and the royal apartments are up to the right. On the right hand side here, this circular building is I don't think I've got another photo of that. That is the um, chapel of the Holy Sepulchre, and it there was a walkway at uh, sort of first floor level between the royal apartments and the chapel, so that the the prince. Um, Lord, whoever was living there at the time, doesn't have to uh, well, get straight into the royal closet, which should be on the top. Um, so, yeah, so Arthur brings Catherine of Aragon here in 1501. Of course, Arthur dies in 1502, less than six months after they are they're married. Um, so he dies here. And when we're coming on tour for the Rise of the Tudors in September, we'll be visiting here and St. Lawrence's church in the town which is where um, Arthur's heart is buried we'll also be visiting Worcester Cathedral which is where his body is is buried um 
Catherine's daughter that she would have by Arthur's brother, Henry VIII, because Catherine of Aragon obviously goes on to marry Henry VIII, their daughter, Mary, she actually spends 19 months here as Princess of Wales or Prince of Wales. I don't think he actually ever, it, it was never, the title was never conferred on her officially, but Henry referred to her as the Prince of Wales, Princess of Wales. Um, and she she did spend so a significant amount of time here, 19 months over the period of 1525 to 1528, um, in lieu of, of course, him having a, a son to have taken um, that position. Um, later on in the next century, the future Charles I um, was declared Prince of Wales here by his father, James I. Um, he was also um, a second choice, a uh, second son, his his elder brother, uh, having died, Fred, uh, Henry Frederick. Um, so in 1616, Charles I was Charles, the would-be Charles, sorry, the future Charles I was um was pronounced prince of wales at ludlow by his father so it was um once you get into the civil wars with charles the first ludlow holds out for the royalist cause now it actually survives i think fairly well for somewhere that um that stood against the parliamentarian forces but clearly not that well. Um, we're, we're, I think we're quite lucky to have so much of it to to still see. <clears throat> and actually, there was a garrison here. It was still occupied throughout the Republican era. And um, when Charles II was restored, he um, he um, also restored the Council of the Marches, which had sort of fallen by the wayside. But neither the castle as a... Um, as a, a stronghold or as a, as a usable used castle or the council of marches as a, as a ruling um, local ruling body, neither of them really took um, root again. And so um, the castle just kind of went into decline as opposed to, I don't, I don't think, and I think Matt covers this in his interview, actually. Um, I don't think it was a, uh, slighted particularly but I think he goes into that in more in more detail because I can't quite remember but the the castle steadily declines it's still in uh it's in private ownership so you, but you can go and visit Ludlow like I say we're taking the group there in September I'm really really looking forward to it um Catherine sorry excuse me Amanda says Catherine didn't initially want Mary to go to Ludlow I wonder if she was worried about history repeating itself um well I'm sure it's a very good point, Manda, because I'm sure that, um, yeah, I'm sure that, uh, excuse me, Catherine wouldn't have been particularly happy about seeing her daughter, one, go off so far. Uh, I mean, it's it's fairly, it's a few hours trip now, but it would have been days worth of, uh, a, a, of a trip um, during the Tudor times. What we... Um, don't think about, and James Clark, if you've listened to any of the interviews with him about the dissolution of the monasteries, what we forget is the Tudor period is a time of modernisation in a way, but it's the, 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 the landscape is still very medieval. Travel is difficult. It's via muddy roads that are impassable 
uh, during certain times of the year, which is why actually the rate of dissolutions slowed during the winter and sped up again um, once the weather improved. There was practical considerations that maybe we wouldn't think of today with getting around. Um, so, yeah, which is quite interesting. There's something else I was going to say about that now, but I've forgotten what it was. Okay, never mind. Um, oh, well, I know what it was. So when one of the, one of the um, slight mysteries is how Arthur's body was transported from Ludlow down to Worcester. He actually, it, the body actually went via a place called Budley and a quite major uh, palace where actually the, um, it was a manor house, but Tickenhill Manor it's called, where the by proxy wedding of Arthur and Catherine had taken place. Um, Arthur had stayed there quite often. Um, you can't see any of it now. <laughs> you can't go to Budley and see any of it, unfortunately. Uh, it's been built on. I think the remaining parts of the manor are incorporated into a house, which you, again, can't really see, and surrounded by a housing estate. So um, it's really difficult to pick out where it would even have been. But it's it was a significant uh, royal home. And he would have gone from Ludlow to Budley. Budley is a river town and I don't know, I haven't seen any particular reason why it wouldn't have been the case that the body would then be transported via the river from Budley to Worcester. Um, Tickenhill Manor is very, very close to the river. I mean, it's, it's a small town. Uh, Budley is still even today. And Worcester Cathedral, uh, where Arthur is buried, was also not only on just on the river but had a river entrance as well um but I don't know maybe I would love to discuss that with somebody who knew who knew more but knowing the area very well I live around here uh, I, I'm, I I would uh, hesitate to say they would have gone by road I don't know why they would have done so in um it was April wasn't it known for our April showers so yeah I don't know but there you go. Just before we get off Ludlow, I've got one more uh, thing to show you. So this is, um, oh, I don't think I've got another picture. So this is over uh, one of the, the the entranceways at Ludlow. Oh, I wish I had a picture. Did I forget to put one on? Um, there is, I did, never mind, never mind. So uh, there's the keep at Ludlow. It's a, it, it, Ludlow Castle was built 1087 at, in stone straight away, which which actually I know we think of um, Norman castles as being of stone, but a lot were built of wood first and then they were re replaced with stone. Ludlow went up straight away in stone. And to the left, um, on the left, sorry, of the picture that I'm showing you at the moment, you can see a squarish tower. That was the original keep or is the keep. And that would have been the original entrance into the main precinct of the castle. There's a dry moat, you're, you're high up, so there's a dry moat, and, and there would have been a usual sort of drawbridge, whatever, into the keep. And then they decided that probably wasn't a great idea because it meant that the keep was not impregnable. And the whole point of a keep is to be as secure as possible. It's the last retreat place. 
Um, so an entrance to the right of the keep was created, and this is it now. And you can see uh, from the brickwork that it's been altered in terms of size. And the um, the uh, you can see two um, crests above the the doorway. One of them is uh, that of Elizabeth I, and the other one is of the Sydney family, Henry Sydney. Um, was installed as uh, head of the Council of the Marches under Edward, uh, excuse me, under Elizabeth I, at the um, sort of suggestion of Robert Dudley, his uh, brother-in-law, or oh, their kins somehow. Uh, maybe not quite brother-in-law actually, but anyway, the Sydneys were uh, Robert Dudley's sister had married into the Sydneys. So anyway, so that's just one extra thing for you about that. Um, I am, like I say, really looking forward to Ludlow Castle. Now behind me, um, you can see two books. So I will mention these, The Palace by Gareth Russell. That is our next book in book club, 10th of March, which is week on Sunday, we'll be discussing The Palace. So if you want to be part of book club, patreon.com forward slash British history. If that's too close to uh, to get through reading a book, I mean, you're perfectly welcome to come along if you haven't read the book, to be honest, we have people come every time who just want to hear the discussion and then get into uh into the um into the book but our next book um the gold has been rubbed off so actually you can't see the title very well behind me but that is Dr Nicola Tallis's book on Margaret Beaufort absolutely fascinating um if you want a bit of a warm up into that, I do have an interview with Dr. Uh, with, with Dr. Nicola Tallis on my YouTube. I think we did it in November or October. So it's quite a recent one about Margaret Beaufort. Uh, but it's a great book. And we'll be discussing that book um, on in Book Club on the 12th of May. So you've got a little bit of time if you would like to join and catch up. Uh, and sorry, excuse me, and read that book and, and join us. There's loads of other benefits. Like I say, if you join or if you're part of it already, have a look out for the post about asking for questions for Nathan Armin um, about all things Henry the Seventh, the Beauforts, the Pretenders. Were they pretending? Were they really the heirs to the throne? No, I don't know. Oh, Melissa, I'm very glad you're enjoying it. Thank you. Marianne, hi, welcome. Um, so, uh, like I say, look out for a... Um, Oh, do I know if Dr. Uh, if Nicola's book uh, yeah, on Elizabeth will be on Audible at some point? Yes, it is supposed to be. It is supposed to be. Um, I'm not sure if it's immediately. I can't remember what she said when I asked her that, but it will be on Audible, which is great. That's how I read most of my books. And then I get the full book as well, because I like to, I like to break the spine and I like to write in my books. <gasps> I know. You know, Nicola would hate me. Gareth actually would hate me too. Nicola and Gareth would both hate me for the way that I treat their books, but it's because I love them and I like interacting with them. And I think you should with a book. I was very pre, like precise with my books growing up. And then I did a university course and they were like, write in them. We want you to write in them. So I did. And actually it was a breakthrough. I love it. Um, yes, Marianne, I also uh, struggle with Right, reading too much, crap eyes, crap eyesight, I'm afraid. Now, let me tell you about one more thing before I leave you to your day. The full speaker lineup for the Stuarts return. So this is this the online history festival. We have had the Stuarts back in 2022, I think it was. Um, 
we're following on from that. And we've got Katie Wignall, Julian Humphreys, Professor Alice Hunt, Gareth Russell, uh, Andrea Zuvich and myself talking. And the talk titles uh, are Gareth is going to be talking about the life of a Stuart Queen, Anna of Denmark fantastic woman she's if you've read the palace you'll have read the um chapter in his book in the book about anna of denmark uh if you want to know where elizabeth I's wardrobe went listen in uh professor alice hunt is talking about oliver cromwell and the english republic this was a talk that we were um at, lots of people asked for you know what was going on during that time it's 11 years the republic and that's a non, not insignificant time. But of course, when we start looking back into history, I, I, I feel like it's, it gets, it gets um, constantina down uh, and it's sort of, oh, we had no monarchy and then uh, in 1649 and then in 1660, we did again. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, but what happened in the interim? And it was, it was uh, interesting. Uh, Andrea Zuvich is talking royal mistresses, the tenuous power of beauty at the Stuart Court. Fantastic. Julian Humphreys is talking about, well, his title is A Hunted King, The Escape of Charles II After the Battle of Worcester. Um, I mentioned that, I think, last week. Uh, it is, it is, what I was going to say, insane. Let's use that word. Uh, it's a bit of hyperbole. But how, how, how Charles II escaped after the Battle of Worcester is a harrowing, I think, story in that he was nearly caught so many times. He really did. It really was not a um, uh, a given that he was going to escape. And had he have not, uh, yeah, another um, what if of history. Katie Wignall, who is a fabulous blue badge guide. She is at Look Up London on Instagram. If you don't follow her already, do so. You will love her videos. Lots of lots of information about London. Really um, interesting. She's doing a talk for us on the Great Fire of London. And then myself, I am going to do a talk on the gunpowder plot and with an emphasis on what drove those conspirators I've put here to plan mass murder. That might be a little bit, well, it's not extreme, actually. It's not extreme. Um, I will clearly go into it more when I'm doing my talk, but the plan for the gunpowder plot the, the, was to rid not just a, a, the, uh, the country of the king and the Prince of Wales and the Queen would have been there, but the entire House of Parliament and House of Lords. Everyone who was ruling the country at that point, bar three or four people, would have been in that, uh, would have been in the house, uh, uh, the Palace of Westminster and would have died. And, and so I've gone into, in my talk, what drove them to get to that point where that seemed to be the only and the best plan um, what drove them to it. So I'm going to be talking about that. It's a lot about oppression and um, extremism. Uh, but I think it's going to be um, interesting. I hope you I hope you agree. You can get your tickets for that at thestuarts2024.eventbrite.co.uk. And if you're a member of my Patreon, follow the link on the post from within Patreon because you get a quite a significant discount. Um, 
Okay, everyone. Was that all I wanted to tell you this week? Oh, had tonight. Right. So I'm afraid had tonight has um, been postponed till next week uh, due to illness. I'm so sorry about that. Um, but um, we will be back and we will be talking about William Marshall, who I, I really admire as a man from history. Um I think I'm understanding the the obsession with Richard III because I think I have one with William Marshall. So that will be uh, next week now. I um, I apologise about that. Um, Have a look. I will will put, if you're watching um, uh, live, then uh, look out in a bit. But there is, so I'll put the link to the interview with uh, Nicola Tallis that's the latest interview that's available now on YouTube and it is available to listen on the podcast I didn't do any editing by the way on the podcast so if you're thinking where's the intro music and the outro music I haven't done it that's why it just makes sure that it gets on there without um, without any faff um, also the link to the interview with Matt Lewis and please come into Patreon and put your questions for Nathan Armin I'm, he's hilarious and um, I'm really looking forward to interviewing him I will be sending out my usual newsletter uh, this weekend, philippab.substack.com, where I should be able to make an announcement uh, about something that is happening tomorrow. Like I say, it might be a bit of a geek niche, a niche geek announcement, but anyway, (laughs) I shall do it anyway. And I will be back next week for uh, History Tea Time Chat Live, and we're going Romans next week. We're going to be talking Romans um because i i like them too thank you everyone thank you so much for spending your time with me i hope you've had a good time with me today and i will see you all next week all right bye bye